0: Good
1: day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin Bearcat Cat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer.
2: Hummer? What's up, buddy? I don't know, you tell me. Apparently I'm in the, the doghouse for some some comments I made on the Discord, so much so that apparently I'm not even allowed to talk about basketball and, and the great the great recruiting week that we had. So, you know what? Either way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat sports fan.
1: Indeed it is. And I'm not really sure where you're going with the whole I'm in trouble, the doghouse, etc., etc. You might be picking up on a vibe. You tell me, Presidente. You might be picking up on a vibe, (laughs) and that might just be the deafening silence that was the Catskeller Social Club Discord after... Uh, A Saturday night, which, by the way, we're late dropping this. Long story. But Saturday night, the chat essentially watched Notre Dame throw away another game against uh, an opponent with less talent. This time, it happened to be the Louisville Cardinals. And that's not a program or school that I enjoy spending a lot of time thinking about, let alone talking about. But because the current head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats football team just coached there a year ago, it's obviously on everyone's mind that, hey, that Louisville Cardinals team is 6-0, and and it caused some takes to start flying. And here's a Hummer.
2: It, it, it took a take to start flying.
1: <laughs> here's Hummer on a Sunday after what seemingly was a day full of drinking, celebrating the return of, of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and a Cincinnati Bengals team that looks to be alive again. You come in off the top rope at the end of the night on Sunday, mind you. With the following takes, transient rankings are stupid. We might have held OU to 20, but we lost to Miami of Ohio. Thadde left a job, and they are literally doing much better without him. He is a turd. And then you posted a turd emoji. We shouldn't have hired him in the first place. And, Hummer, hours went by without anybody responding to that. Nobody liked it. Nobody smiley-faced it. Nobody thumbs downed it, just you were ignored entirely by the entire discord, which is nearly 200 people at this point until user Cincy 2014 chimed in with a gif of an old man in the, in the, with the look of Abraham Lincoln beating a dead horse, because that's exactly what you've been doing, Hummer. Your takes are beating a dead horse at this point. We get it. You did not like the hire. Neither of us loved it at the time but he is in fact the head coach at this point point. and to spend a random Sunday night or every weekend, even when the Cincinnati Bearcats aren't playing football to spend every waking moment, making that point is exhausting. And so, yeah, maybe you are in the doghouse in the Catskiller social club discord. You know what? Sometimes I like sleeping outside.
2: I like being out in nature. I like being alone in solitude. My view is I don't have to be I don't have to be in love with our coach in order to be a good fan. And I'm just not liking what I'm seeing. And more importantly, I am looking at Louisville, who is six and oh, after their coach left, our fan base is saying, oh, six, six wins is, is the expectation to, to be bowl eligible. His old team without him is bowl eligible. Meanwhile, we are losing to Miami of Ohio. I'm not happy, but by the way. Someone did comment later on that. He unfortunately is our turd. So he is our turd. friend of the
1: podcast, the councilman
2: Friend of the podcast, the councilman. He's our turd. He, and I'm not saying he's agreeing with me, but he did say, unfortunately, so I'm, I'm going to take that win. I'm going to run with it. You know, it's just, look, he is our turd. He's going to be there for the next five years, whatever, four years, unless we buy him out, which isn't going to happen. $22 million, whatever. Fine. But I'm not going to sit here for the next four years and pretend that he's the best guy in the world and that, that we hired him,
1: that I'm Nobody, happy about who's, it. Who's pretending so, he's the best guy in the world? So, All of the evidence right now points to the fact that he's struggling in year one.
2: So I'm not going to pretend like everything's rosy and that it's okay and that I didn't have these reservations before we hired him or when we first, I want to say before, when we hired him because no one knew what was going on before we hired him. So I'm just not going to sit here and pretend that I haven't had this feeling, these feelings the entire time I've been sitting here. So I hope I eat my words one day, but I don't ever know. I don't you never you've, know.
1: You've spent your career performing as as a compelling salesman. In your real life, you are a compelling salesman. You've had success in sales. You've risen to the the ranks of Wall Street uh titans by being a great <laughs> salesman. Yet that's you a, yet a little, it is little, blind little over You are blind to the fact that you are convincing nobody with the approach you're taking, which is, I was right. This guy's a dud. Let's just wait it out. Hummer, we've played five games. He's coached five games for the Bearcats, and but he's frankly, coached our many fan base more
2: prior to the Bearcats.
1: Our he has fan base a track record. Chad Brendel, BCJ, folks were overzealous with their predictions coming into the season, ignoring the fact that there's a major roster overhaul. Seemingly ignoring the fact that we moved into a much more difficult conference, ignoring the fact that it takes time to re it, it, historically at UC it doesn't always just go you know zero to one hundred in year one. There's precedent for a slower transition into a new coaching regime, and there's plenty of evidence already that points to the fact that Satterfield is struggling, and we're going to get into that. And I'm not excusing losing to Miami of Ohio. That frankly. Is an inexcusable loss, and it's the loss that is shaping the entire narrative around his, his start here at UC. I'm just pointing out to you that the broken record, record narrative of this is a disaster, it's over, see you in four years. What's the fun in that? Like, what are you what what are we accomplishing with that type of a, approach?
2: We're not accomplishing anything. My whole point You're is pouting is to pout. I'm pouting. And the reason why I'm pouting is because we just came off of a run, an incredible run of Cincinnati football where we reached the pinnacle of what a G5 school could accomplish or maybe maybe more other schools,
1: but um, a, a yeah, G5. It's, a run. making the, the college football playoff is the pinnacle of the sport. We accomplished nine, the pinnacle nine, of the nine, sport no matter what conference you're in. Right, but let me finish. Nine
2: wins, 10 wins, 13 wins, whatever we've done. We've done a lot, and we, were, we could have seized the moment because – Luke Fickle said his goal. Granted, he was lying to our faces when he said this was to build this program into a top 10 program. And we were actually there for a while where we were at least a top 25 program. And we, we could have seized on that momentum and made a big, splashy, nice hire. Instead, we went with a guy who actually has a track record of not being very successful, being a average at best coach. He has done nothing in his career to say, I'm exceptional. And he had done nothing. He wasn't an up-and-comer who has upside, right? It's at this point, it's like saying, you know what? I'm just going to accept that Joe Mixon is a top 16 running back, but he's not a top 10. I'm just going to be happy with Joe Mixon for the rest of my life
1: as a Bengals fan, which is fine. If that's what you want, mediocrity, it's okay. That's harsh on Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's really good. And it's he, been very good throughout his career. He's old he's now. Been, he's been top 16. Do you want me to use Andy Dalton as a better, a better example? Joe Mixon than, uh, in multiple years is a top 10 back, in my opinion. Pretty obviously. That's not that's pretty much indisputable. Guy was very, very, very good. Reliable, durable, played a lot of games, could catch out of the backfield, patient with holes. Come on. Behind bad offensive lines, too, I might add. So let me ask you then would you say
2: I'm I'm giving Joe Mixon more props than I should be giving Satterfield or should I be giving Satterfield more props than Joe Mixon? Career-wise, I'm not you, they both I'm have a career. You, they both have a career. I'm really not telling you to give a Satterfield props.
1: Here's the thing, Hummer. I'm not telling you to give Satterfield props. It's mm-hmm. been a really rough start. It includes the loss to Miami. It's After not the Easter, it's, Eastern it's his whole game, career. It, stop. You have not done a full analysis of enti- of his entire career. You've looked at his stint at Louisville, which was generally underwhelming. I would say their fan base probably agrees with that assessment. He, he was on the hot seat there. If he wasn't doing well he this year. Was quite he was on the good hot at seat at Appalachian State and if 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 you can point to some things here he came in as an offensive guru and statistically the team has had no problems moving the ball but there are tons of red flags in terms of finishing drives of touchdowns in terms of shortcomings in all three phases of the games uh, of the game we've seen mistakes you know tragic mistakes in, in special teams that have cost us arguably two games we've seen the defense give up huge chunk plays just get you know crushed with deep throws over the top whether it be the Miami of Ohio game starting the game off with a 70 plus yard touchdown or backbreaking third and 19s against Oklahoma and then you see offensively the the situation in the red zone and none of those things point to to massive amounts of optimism i think what i'm just doing is being a little bit of critical of your approach which is this dismissive? Sixty-five 60, games into his first 60, year,
2: sixty-eight percent, sixty-eight win percentage at an Appalachian State, fifty-one percent, fifty-one percent at Louisville.
1: Right, right. It In worse. Cunningham, it, it is clear through his process he prioritized P five experience over everything else. He wanted to get a coach who had prior head coaching experience at this level. In the offseason, we saw the momentum that Satterfield and his staff were generating and recruiting. We've seen that he, they're investing tremendously in his support staff. Um, and there, we All of that is TBD, though. You can't evaluate that in year one. You frankly can't evaluate him in year one transitioning from the American Athletic Conference. Didn't we also want a coach to that the had experience I'm or, or wasn't going to embrace NIL? He is a guy NIL. He we isn't racing NIL.
2: And I know, I, know, I know this, but we also have a guy who who brought in his own players to replace said players, but then in a recent interview, when he was asked about why there's a lack of explosive
1: plays when that's what he's known for, his comment was hey – I'm going to paraphrase here. That's a perfect transition. I'll, I'll play the clip. I'd like to play the clip and talk about it because that is – we're we're getting hung up on. That's this kind of where I'm getting at. It's it's
2: gonna it's gonna it's gonna get into where I'm going, coming from. Is what I'm seeing is, it's kind of like where you were with Wes Miller, early on. And you're I think you're still kind of there, to be frank. I was never. I was never, never no, no, no. this let way. With Wes the Miller, the way you no, are. No, let me right finish now. the point. Talking about with his respect to his ability to coach. Can he recruit? Yes, we all know Wes Miller is a recruiter, but can he coach? you you've been there you kind of i think are still there this is kind of i think the make or break year knowing you and, and your thoughts on this subject that this is the make or break year for West miller can he coach he has the talent now can we see something i know we haven't got to see that with, said with the at cincinnati if the
1: waivers don't clear then you have to lower expectations he went all in on two big men but that... you can
2: still see him coaching better this season, you can still see that the on-court with the product on- should improve. We should expect a better
1: on-court product
2: this season I because he does have better talent, even without those two waivers than previous. It's
1: years. year three, right? And this is you Kenny. gave Wes Miller this grace is- because you liked the hire. You're not giving Scott Satterfield grace because you didn't like the hire. This that's is all, that's the only difference fifth, for you. Satterfield's fifth
2: year. In power, it's five his coaching. first
1: year at Cincinnati,
2: dude, fifth year, and he doesn't have a track record of getting progressively crazy. better. Crazy,
1: crazy, take. he's mediocre. Horrible take, horrible take, mediocrity. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. You didn't like the hire so you're writing them up And I, it's just not healthy for you, it's not healthy for the fan base. You can't make your final assessment five games in. We are starting to get some, we're mounting some evidence here to say, hey, Houston, we've got some problems. There's some things to point to, but just jumping to this conclusion because you didn't like the hire in the first place isn't healthy.
2: That's why and it's I, not I helpful. To a,
1: and a a fan, it's not persuasive. What I, get to do. I don't need to be pers- persuasive. Look at the evidence. Read the tea leaves. <laughs> Everything's going to fall into place. Well, in I don't want to be
2: saying the same thing.
1: I don't want to get hung on this, uh, up on this the entire time. And we've somewhat missed our window for some of these conversations because of an absolute disastrous recording snafu by me two days ago. Apologies for that to you, because to me, that was one of the all-time Hummer performances, and folks just have to take my word for it. I don't want to regurgitate everything we did that night. I do want to talk about the viral moment from Scott Satterfield's press conference this week, which involved Chad Brendel asking him a fairly innocuous question, a question that when I heard it sounded a bit off the mark because it seemed to me to be ignoring the elephant in the room and instead talking about something that's generally not that big of a deal with this team. But let's go ahead and listen to this clip of Chad Brendel asking Scott Satterfield a question about explosive plays. Put it right up next to the mic.
2: You got to put it last time. It was a little, little quiet. Let's get it right up there. Want everybody to, to be able to hear this. And hopefully we don't get this taken down for copyright.
0: Your teams have traditionally produced a big number of 40-plus, 50-plus yard plays, usually among the most in the country. That has been lacking over these last three weeks. Is there any point of emphasis in a bye week where you can kind of examine maybe what was missed, were the plays there and you weren't making them, or yeah? How do you kind of I think? I mean, one thing is, you know, we, don't, we don't have explosive running backs. So that's a big step. Back to my offenses over the last 10 or 12 years. We've had a, a running back over the years that can go 80 yards. Our guy will get you the first down, you know, but we've seen it this year where, you know, we break out for a 30 or 40 yard run and then we're getting tackled. But um, I think that's one thing the reason why you don't have the 67 80 yard plays. And then, you know, we've had, we've had some opportunities in, in the passing that we didn't connect whether we get you know we get hit, the quarterback gets hit, um, or we overthrow it. Um, you know something like that goes wrong with him to play. And um you know, I think that's been the difference. Um in the big plays. You know, and if you get it, you a couple of those men, you know, certainly be able to sit here a little bit differently right now. And uh they're out there and I think we're close to hitting some of those. Um you know hopefully this week we'll be able to hit those. I think you know you're just one step off or um this is such
1: a just a small little fine window to, to make those plays happen, and uh, I was a be able to get those honestly it's it, there's things in there every time I listen to that conversation and that that back and forth between Brendel and Satterfield i there's new things that that I'm seeing that I'm hearing that just rub me the wrong way a bit that question let's start with the question number. that question is set, is insinuating that. The lack of explosive plays. Honestly, there's not even that much wrong with the question. Chad Brenda was asking about explosive plays, which he was describing as 40 to 50 yards. Satterfield took that and extrapolated it to 80 plus yards, which is an incredibly rare play in college football. 27 teams of 130 have 80 yard plus plays in college football. It is not something that you build an offense around necessarily. You can have fun and gun offenses. Uh, Michael, Phoenix led offenses in Washington, for example, where you're throwing the ball downfield and going deep. Those are offenses that are leaning specifically on big plays, chunk plays and explosive plays. To hear a coach talk about 80 yard plus plays in a running offense is peculiar to me. Um, But additionally, the Bearcats, in terms of plays of 40 yards or more, they have five this year, Um, which isn't if you if you make it 40 plus, it's five, which is 76 in the country. If you make it 50 plus, it's five, and they're 53rd in the country, 54th in the country. Point being, they're not elite, but it's not like they're bottom five, bottom 10 teams. So when you hear this question and you hear how important it seems to be for Satterfield and how pressing an issue he seems to think it is, it seems completely off the mark to me. Can can you
2: add some additional context? I know a lot of people complain when you take a quote out of context. What happened later on in that interview? What he didn't he he specifically pointed out player groups as being what was it? Paraphrase it for us.
1: Well, I'm not. I'm not. That's the context for that specific question and answer later but, in but the conversation. I think what he talks about. He did back off the comments about the running back a little bit. I think he realized. Those comments were a bit harsh. I'm kind of throwing in a way that that conversation seemed to be blaming players for their lack of innate speed for some of the offensive problems. He, in that, in that answer, he said, we might be sitting differently if a couple of those plays go to the house. My biggest issue is that you wanting more explosive plays and thinking that that's the difference from being, you know, in being four and one versus two and three is an absurd comment to make, Hummer. When your offense right now in the red zone, from a touchdown percentage standpoint, ranks 127th in the country. That is your problem, Scott Satterfield. Your problem is that you are moving the ball down the field. These running backs are gashing defenses at times for 40, 50 yards or more. They're getting first downs. We've seen our social media team brag about the yardage. We're moving the ball. When you get to the red zone, you're not finishing drives. That's a bigger issue. Now, that's not the question Brendel asked him. But if you're if you're Satterfield, it sounds so it just sounds there's a lack of leadership that exists when you take a question like that and and run with it. Like he's basically running with that narrative and using that narrative that the lack of explosiveness in terms of players is his problem as opposed to the execution in the red zone, which is a much bigger problem. Again, 127th in the country in touchdown efficiency in the red zone, which follows up Scott Satterfield's team in 2022 being 116th in that category. This is a a Scott Satterfield red zone problem. This is not a, this is not a Corey Kiner can't go 80 yards problem. Come on. You're hundred percent right.
2: And I'm going to, I'm not going to, I don't know if it's breaking the fourth wall here or the third wall, whatever wall this is. So we've had this conversation before and we nailed it out of the park, but here we are trying to recreate magic. So I'm not going, I'm going to kind of paraphrase what we kind of came through the first time we went through this conversation, which was the, the, the question that Brendel asked, I thought was really good. And I thought it was really good because it, it, it gave, it gave Satterfield a a toss up, a layup an easy way to answer that question, which is explosive plays aren't really important to our offense. What's important to our offense is scoring touchdowns. And that's something that we need to work on as a group. Our offense is really good at moving the ball between the twenties. Really good. We can get from one end of the 20 to the other end of the 20, but we don't execute. We don't need explosive offense in order to score tighties here. Right. We need to figure out how we're going to do that when we're actually in the red zone. And if and if that's what we're insinuating is that we don't have the horses, the score from the 40 yard line, the 50 yard line or the other 40 yard line, then we have bigger issues at hand. And so I thought that that question really just illuminated what what in my mind is going through Scott Satterfield's mind, which is he's not thinking about the red zone as much. He's thinking about. Scoring with 80 yard horses, I can't do it. He's not it even thinking about it, Hummer. A, like there's there's, there's no
1: seeing if the if the athletes aren't fast enough, which I guess is what he's saying. If they can't break it to the house for 80 yards, he's not even thinking about it. There's nothing you could change there. He's hoping, he's wishing, he's you know, It's like daydreaming about what might come in the future. But the thing that seems more controllable is red zone execution. And I'd love to see the coach take accountability on his shoulders to say, yeah, I hear you. I'd love to have more explosive plays. In 2022, Chad, my team, my offense ranked 34th in the country in plays over 40 yards. In 21, we were 45th. I don't think that's elite. Neither of those numbers is elite, but they were higher, right? They were higher in terms of explosive plays. 2020, they ranked eighth in the country. That's two more explosive plays than they had the following the next two years. It. This is not an actual thing that I'm focused on, Chad. What I need to figure out is what I can do to make sure that when we get inside the red zone, inside the 20, we know how to execute and we know how to score touchdowns. We got to punch that thing in once we get in the red zone. That to me would be leadership. That to me is what you want to hear from the head coach. You don't want any gray in terms of blaming players in the media. And folks can blame this on... Context and how media is presenting it and whatnot. Scott Satterfield did a shitty job answering that question. That's a really poor answer by someone with a lot of experience. You have to do a better job in that moment taking accountability and really pointing to what's important for this team to improve moving forward. And until we solve those red zone issues, which by the way aren't just offensive, defensively, we are hun- 100th in the country in scoring percentage defense in the red zone. We are not stopping anyone in the red zone. We are not scoring touchdowns in the red zone. That is where this team lives and dies. If we're going to live and if we're going to get, get our wins in the big 12, get to that six and six mark that everyone's yearning for. We've got to score in the red zone. So I'm going to ask you a question. One of them here is
2: just, it's a softball to lay based off Scott Satterfield's comments was, I guess this is a, this is a leading question, a loaded question. I don't know if it's loaded as much, but was the running back group, the running back room, was that a room you were worried about going
1: into the season? No, no. <laughs> right. And Can, not only, but you don't mean, that's coming like, you're it. just like, no, I'm not. Besides coming into the season, if you were evaluating position group performances so far this season, like how our quarterbacks done, AKA Emory Jones, however defensive backs performed, how have our, how's our defensive line been where where's running backs in terms of order of performance after one, our defensive line, after our defensive line, it might be running backs. Number two, like one, they are two. arguably one of our best and most consistent position groups so far in 2023. Do you so know to why? hear anything you know from why? our coach, because they can get first downs. Dude, who's
2: not gonna take a, a running a first down off, off a run play? Who's not gonna take six, seven yards off a run play and you're gonna sit there and complain about it? I uh, I once again it comes back to what what we just what you said. Figure out a way to score in the red zone. Stop. Maybe the run game isn't working in the red zone. Figure out something else to do about it. Get more creative in when you're play calling, get more creative in your scheming. Go back to the drawing board. You know, it's that's that's what it comes down to. That's where I think that's where this team is at, and it's it's at an inflection point, because Iowa State's coming in town and not a not a very good football team, similar to BYU, not a very good team, a team that should be beatable. We're favored to win. It's at home at Nippert, and if you lose it, in my mind, it's an embarrassment, especially after I they're they're trying to insult us, Ohio State, Iowa fans, Iowa what they're trying to call us Ohio. Yeah, that's what I'm I, saying. I Where the fuck are they at? What state are you in? You're in Iowa?
1: Thanks like for Iowa. your corn,
2: bro. Thanks kinda, for your corn. I kinda like Iowa. I don't mind Iowa. I don't Good, you beer, know I, good beer culture they, out in Iowa. If they just want to be like if their only comeback for us is Ohio, they're they're just as unoriginal as their state. Flat. <laughs> Nothing going on. So I'm I, not, I'm not, I don't really care. My whole point is they're a beatable team. We should win this game. And if we don't, and it's the same because of the same issues that we're talking about here, flags are going up, pitchforks being raised because we're going to Iowa, right? You take pitchforks pitchforks in cornfields, right? So I'm just, I don't say it's a winnable game. We should win it. And if we don't, because of the red zone issues persist after a bye week, that's a major red flag.
1: Yeah, we got to, those have got to be cleaned up. I did send this. A uh, clip to our buddy Cameron Papp, friend of the podcast, friend in real life, and someone who is incredibly adept at public relations. And I sent him this clip just to get his reaction. Well, let's not, let's not, let's not, we got to give him more credit. He's been
2: on like CNBC, he's been on, he's been CNN, on Fox, yeah, this is a like high
1: on, level PR professional for it's always since like 2016 organizations. You know,
2: yeah, Bloomberg yes. reaches out to him about Taylor Swift and Kelsey. Yeah. If there's a correlation between ticket sales, he's been on he's been talking about the World Series tickets on TV. This guy is a real PR professional.
1: He's a PR professional. And his reaction to the clip, first off, was there's a reason why you don't there's a boy. reason
2: you don't know about Tor Radar.
1: <laughs> Whoa. Having a boy. major misstep because of him. <laughs> <laughs> don't get too specific. But he so he's he's instantly kind of taken aback by the clip. But I I asked him, I said, look, I want Scott Satterfield to to succeed at Cincinnati. I want this to go well. I want to give him free game on how to handle this type of question in the future so that it doesn't go viral, so that this press conference is boring, maybe informative, but boring, and nobody's sharing clips, and nobody's talking about what he said about a position group. And so I, I asked him, I said, Cam, can you give... Scott, a few recommendations. I'll share it with him. I'll clip it out. We'll send it to him and we'll say, this is how we want you handling these press conferences in the future. And he was kind enough to share three key pieces of advice for for Mr. Satterfield moving forward. Number one, the buck always stops with you. If you are the CEO or the coach, you take the fire and you take the responsibility. Never, ever throw your subordinates under the bus in public. If something needs to be addressed or changed, that happens behind the scenes. Great advice. Simple, but great. Number two, never address a negative question with another negative. Address the issue, then bridge it into a positive talking point. We need to be better in this area, but I think we're making progress in this area, and here's why. Great example would have been, yeah, we could use some progress in, in making big plays, but I also see us making big steps forward in the red zone because of this extra bye week we've had and additional plays we've been able to install in our offense. Would have been a great answer. Number three, stop talking. Answer the question and move on. He talked himself into a hole and it kept getting worse the longer he kept going. Get to your point in, get your point in quick, quickly and concisely. Free game, Scott. Your move next time. But Hummer, you you were transitioning us well into the actual game this week. It's homecoming week, my friend. Clifton Avenue will be shut down on Saturday. The parade will be rolling through town. Maybe Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift make an appearance. who knows? The team did tweet out the uh they tweeted out the the uniform combination for this week, and they said we're in our red era. I don't know. If they're gonna if, if someone knows something, Hummer. It'd be the social media folks for the Cincinnati Bearcats football team. All right. Any any Taylor this, appearance this, this week.
2: This is this is the second time we've mentioned it. Uh both of us actually, I think, have mentioned <laughs> Kelsey and Swift at least once. Uh I'm gonna get into his little I'm gonna get dive into his little latest Instagram post. Uh where he, I think he's he's pulling a book from Taylor. I think Taylor has control of his Instagram. He posted a photo and he goes, keeping it chill, like Savion Blanc which now people are, are saying that references Taylor Swift's known love of white wines. That might be the first official post <laughs> confirming that the two not even confirming, but you know, insinuating that these two are now an item, especially after she missed his latest game. Uh, yeah. So if she shows up to Cincinnati, honestly, the traffic that everybody's representing is going to be terrible. It's going to be gridlock. She's going to bring yeah. more traffic than a president would cincinnati if, so if that happens
1: my recommendation my recommendation would be join this the cast social club discord and ping me directly i've got tips on parking that that i can give you free game you have a spot on. you have a spot in your your yard for dollars I've, I've got spots available if taylor swift happens to be in clifton this saturday but let's talk a little bit about the actual football game hummer as of this recording The Bearcats are favored by five points against Iowa State, who comes into this game three and three on the season. Their wins coming against Northern Iowa, Oklahoma State, and TCU. Their losses against Iowa, go figure. Iowa's absolutely run roughshod over Iowa State for the last two decades. That one's for you, Cyclone Larry69. They lost to Ohio University, the Bobcats. And they lost to Oklahoma, at Oklahoma, in Norman, by 30 points. Now, neither of us is going to pretend to be some incredible Iowa State guru. Um, Not an impressive program. Matt Campbell, their head coach, was rumored to be a candidate at one point in time for the Cincinnati Bearcats head coaching job. And let me put it this way. Thrilled that it wasn't him. Thrilled. And was extremely concerned that he would be the coach we'd poach. Um, I would, I would actually take Scott Satterfield over Matt Campbell ten out of ten times, and there's no question. The dialogue around the Iowa State program, I heard a national uh, podcast host asking uh, the question as to whether Matt Campbell might be on the hot seat, and you know if he loses this game against the Bearcats and maybe a couple more in the Big Twelve, is Matt Campbell someone that could get fired? And the person responded by saying, frankly. I doubt it because could they actually get someone in there that's better? They, they were essentially saying this is not a program that can attract a big-time head coach and would be in serious trouble if they did fire Matt Campbell. Their program is not in great shape right now. They are coming to Nippert Stadium, noon kickoff, raucous home crowd. Vegas has the Bearcats favored by five. This, to me, is setting up as, a, as the moment for Scott Satterfield to get this train back on track End the three-game losing streak and achieve the Cincinnati Bearcats' first win in Big 12 conference play. What say you? <laughs> you said that uh,
2: they probably won't fire him because that's the best he could get. And I'm just sitting there thinking, well, you know what? That makes sense why we got Scott Satterfield. It's probably the best we could get uh we're probably not a program attracting big time but here's here's the thing on
1: jesus
2: not uh, look i've i'm not even as confident to say that this is a guaranteed win for us like it's not this is going to be a tough game this is going to be a tough game for the bearcats because we're like iowa state we're not a very good football team so is this a must win for scott satterfield this season if you're hoping to get the six and six it is This is one of those ones that you got to win and it's at home against a not very good football team. Yep. Can it be done? Absolutely. Do we have the talent to do it? Absolutely. We do. So can't, can it be done hundred percent? This is, this is a 100% winnable game. You should be able to put the check Mark on that win column, but I'm just not confident enough to say that I would take the Bearcats on the spread. I'd take them on the money line.
1: There's some statistical trends with Iowa State through five games. Sorry, sorry, through six games that I would say shake out favorably for the Bearcats. This team's only averaging 21.8 points a game. They have not been an explosive offense. They're converting only 31 percent of their bird do you, downs on the season. How do you, how how do you define
2: that? How do you define the explosive offense? Is it
1: points or yeah. is it plays? An- another another nitpick of that answer is explosive 40 yards. Yes, a 40 yard play is explosive. 50 yards is explosive. 80 yards is a fucking gargantuan play that you remember. You have like two of them on a season. Stop talking Joe, about 80-yard plays. Joe Burrow threw a 60-yard perfect dime in the
2: air. That is like an exceptional play that doesn't happen all the time. The, the the reference 80 yards, you could have just been like, you know what, we've had a few. We've had some good ones this year, but we're we're working on other aspects of our game that don't necessarily involve relying on big 80-yard plays. We want to get better at at, at moving the ball within the 20-yard line, and we're working heavily on that in practice.
1: Teams, teams certainly talk about explosiveness, but they talk about it in terms of like 30, 40, 50-yard plays. If you're hitting those consistently, you know you're going to hit big plays overall. And so spe- specifying it or, or narrowing it down to 80 yards, as this coach has done now, I think two different weeks in press conferences is crazy to me, but alas. Our defense. What's the weakness of our defense, Hummer? What have we? What have we? What's driven us mad this year defensively? The the secondary. The secondary teams are throwing the ball all over the place, right? Oh, BYU. That. BYU had negative two yards passing through twenty nine minutes and finished the game gashing us for for like two hundred and fifty yards. And it wasn't necessarily in these like small death by a thousand cuts. No, these were gigantic plays downfield, huge holes in the defense. Taylor Swift reference. <laughs> <laughs> iowa state's only averaging about 200 yards passing per game this and they're averaging only 6.6 yards per attempt this is not a team that's getting downfield explosive plays all of all i'm saying hummer if you're looking at how this team sets up coming into nippert stadium home game homecoming taylor screaming let's fucking go in the stands you can't lose this game hummer we have to win this game this is extremely winnable no matter what your criticisms are of the shortcomings of this team so far this season. Emery Jones, Corey Kiner, Miles Montgomery in in recent weeks, uh, Xavier Henderson. These guys have been able to move the ball downfield and they've been able to do it just about everybody. Like Oklahoma outgained the Bearcats, but the Bearcats were moving the ball. If the Bearcats can continue doing that against Iowa state paired with Iowa state's, Lack of explosive plays, and hopefully at two weeks off for the Bearcats and their ability to, to schem- you know schematically tighten things up in the secondary. This sets up for a truly great opportunity to get the dub, and I think it's fun to go into a game homecoming weekend with an expectation that we're going to be the first newcomer since the ho- the first new arriver to the Big Twelve Conference to get a win against a a an old school big 12 opponent that is unless houston pulls off the uh i guess what would be an upset against west virginia that's currently occurring as as we record this podcast but yeah right. I, I honestly think so, fan base if you're if i'm the fan base i'm getting excited not only do i think the bearcats win this game i think the bearcats can win this game by double digit points i'm i'm getting on the i'm getting back on the uh the
2: the, the gambling train here so here here's my picks Cincinnati total points 24 and a half plus 100. Take it. Take it. Take it. There's no yards, there's no yardage one that I can dig, but whatever the pick the over. Um I'm still going to stick with with the the money lines at minus 192. So I'm probably going to stick with the with the money line and maybe try to parlay that to get some extra juice. Uh, cuz I do think the Bearcats are going to win this game. It's just I'm just BYU has me scared. Okay. BYU had me scared. I'm not, I'm not taking the Bearcats on spreads. That's tough. That's tough. BYU was a traumatizing
1: experience. It was late at night. Everyone was exhausted and drunk and it just, it hurt. It hurt on a number of levels, but, but I'm here, I'm here for the money line. I'm here for,
2: uh, for the, for the total of 24 and a half on the over for points. Uh, I'm also going to take – I think I would go into the halves and say I I think that we would probably get the – so how much I'm thinking we're going to we're going to score a lot this game. It's going to be scoring with a vengeance. Over 21 and a half for the for – uh, 20 and a half for the, for the first half. Taking the over.
1: Between both I, teams. I'm with you. Both teams. So, well, I don't know about that. Wow. No, total, total, yeah.
2: total. Total score. Oh, 20 total and a half for the first okay. half.
1: I'm I'm looking at this as a high-scoring outing for the Bearcats. Uh, they're going to cross the 30-point threshold against Iowa State, probably low. I'm going to say 31 points uh, scored and holding Iowa State to 17 points uh, with the combination of a, a truly dominant performance from the defensive line and I think the return of Sammy Anderson, so long as that actually happens, um, mixed with the two-week break and... Coach Brown, the defensive coordinator, his opportunity to figure some things out defensively. I see this team locking in with a really strong performance behind a loud, raucous Nippert Nipper Stadium crowd. 31-17 is the official prediction. The hype train, it, I, I won't call it a full-on hype train. That would be disingenuous given what's already happened this season. But Scott Satterfield going to win some hearts back over. He's going to relax some people that have been upset about the performances against BYU the second half against Pittsburgh, the disaster against Miami, people are going to realize uh, the sky is not falling, that hope is not lost, and that there is an opportunity for Satterfield to build some momentum and, and rack up some Ws in what is a fairly, a, a fairly weak conference overall in the Big 12, especially knowing that we don't have Texas on the schedule. And we just saw you know Kansas State not on the schedule either, just lost to Oklahoma State. Um, Texas Tech lost their starting quarterback. There's opportunities for a lot of wins in the Big 12 Conference. There's also opportunities for a lot of L's. But when you when when it is games like this, home game, homecoming, Iowa State, it, it feels like a must-win right now. This cannot go to four straight losses. And so I'm hoping the bye week does the Bearcats a solid, and we are celebrating loudly, wildly, and drunkenly come 3, 3.30 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. I will
2: not send a text message or a group chat or a Discord chat until Sunday night, regardless. And if we That's lose what we did be, last week. That's what it's you did be, last if, week. If we if we lose, it will be a single turd emoji. That's it. Just one turd emoji. And if we win,
1: it'll be Katy Perry Fireworks. I'm holding you to it, buddy. Go Bearcats. Happy homecoming. Go Bearcats.